0: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Mary Keith, field trip coordinator for the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, taking place October 15th through 17th at the Manatee Viewing Center. In Apollo Beach, Florida, this three-day event presents an array of activities, including field trips and boat trips and nature expos, speakers and seminars, some offered via Zoom, some presented in person, outside with masks required and social distancing encouraged. The stated mission of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival is, quote, to promote appreciation and conservation of Florida's birds, its wildlife, and their habitats through responsible nature-based tourism and public awareness, unquote. Keith, a past president of the Tampa Audubon Society, will fill us in on some details of the festival, including a bit about the seminars and speakers as well as the events COVID protocols how to register for the festival and more we'll get that lowdown and more when I speak with Mary Keith in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF before I outline what else will be happening on today's show, I want to look ahead to next week's show, that's October 6th, when WNF will be in the midst of our one of our two-day fund drives. So naturally, I want to ask for your support, including donations before October 6th, but in a weird wrinkle, because WNF's fiscal year doesn't start until October 1st, no pledges we receive before October 1st will be credited towards the Talking Animals fundraising goal. So i'm still asking for early donations that's the only way to really reach my super high fundraising goal especially in less than an hour but i'm also asking you to wait until this friday october 1st to make that early donation by hitting the talking animals tip jar which you can find on wmf.org on the talking animals page on the station website and then as always i'll have some exclusive thank you gifts for pledges at various levels ranging from a pair of amazing tickets to a concert featuring James Taylor. And his all star band with that show opened by, get this, Jackson Brown and his band. So that show's happening November 11th at Amelie Arena. What else we have it includes uh, stemless wine glasses emblazoned with this message I save animals, what's your superpower? And of course, a week long stay at a remodeled condo on the island of Kauai. Fabulous opportunity for a discounted stay in that idyllic setting. So visit talkinganimals.net for more information on these thank you gifts and simple, easy ways to support Talking Animals. WNFME, and and though again, just it's Wednesday now, Friday is the first, so we just got to hang tight till, till Friday before any early donations come in, but we really, really urge you to do that. It's really, like I said, the only way for us to reach our um, usually quite towering fundraising goal. Later in today's program, I'll speak briefly with Father Andrew Hayes of St. Clement Episcopal Church in Tampa, which this Saturday, October 2nd, will offer a blessing of the animals, extending a 34-year tradition. There are wrinkles to this year's blessing, which we'll hear about from Father Andrew when I speak with him a bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss the Florida Birding and Nature Festival with Mary Keith, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org, or texting 813 433 0885. This is Mary Keith on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals.
1: I'm glad
0: to be here. My first time on this radio show. Okay, well, it's, uh, we're already off to a good start, I want to believe. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so of course, we're here mainly to discuss the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, which we absolutely will in a moment. But you're one of the organizers and clearly a festival spokesperson, so I'd like to just kind of take a, a moment now and just find out a bit about you. For example, when did you get into birding?
1: Oh, my both of my parents were botanists. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I've been watching birds for as long as I can remember, and I'm well over 70, so it's been a long time. And uh,
0: apart from your parents both being botanists, what first drew you? I mean, what spoke to you about birds where you you know started you did that almost on a precocious level, maybe?
1: Well, I mean, and it's what still fascinates me about birds. They change their colors from season to season. They come and go for a while. They're here, then they're gone. Then all of a sudden they're back again. They sound different from season to season. So I grew up in Pennsylvania watching so many birds in their breeding colors singing their breeding songs and then after various peregrations around the world I ended up down here in Florida and all of a sudden here's these same birds but they're now in their non-breeding colors and they're not singing their breeding songs so I had to start all over again and Florida is just fantastic because just about anything that breeds in the eastern half of the U.S. and a whole lot of stuff that breeds in the western half of the U.S or even up in northwestern Canada, comes through Florida at one, generally two times of the year as they're migrating north or south. So, it, I mean, yes, I, I love the, the butterflies and I love the plants, but a plant is a plant and it stays in the same place. And the birds are just always on the move.
0: So it sounds like that's a key quality that has fascinated you I guess for some years whether you're in rural Pennsylvania or here uh, in the Tampa area.
1: Well I mean it's it's just their their variability their, it's the same species it might even be the same bird. But they're they're variable. One of the things that I like to say when I'm leading bird trips and somebody asks me about a bird doing something, I didn't know they did that. And I said, well, we haven't taught them to read English yet or Spanish, German or, you know, whatever. So they haven't read our books and they just go on doing whatever they please. <laughs> and it's up to us to to figure out you know, what they're doing and why and
0: how. Yeah. So some of them are kind of mavericks, I guess, in the sense of like you have to sort of crack their code.
1: Well, it, you know, I, I think in a way it's just a lot of it is there's so much that we don't know. They're survivors. They have been surviving. They, they travel from Canada to the southern tip of South America and back again, just a whole humongous range of habitats. Plant food sources, dangers, and they manage to keep on going. So they, I think, are a lot more flexible than we give them credit for, or that we've managed to figure out and put in a book and pass on.
2: Yeah,
0: well, I guess they're as many animals are, but maybe uh, I find this maybe more pronounced maybe in the bird world. But this sound they're, they're super adaptable.
1: Exactly, exactly, and and as climate changes, and you know people keep impinging into their habitat, we're finding out which ones are the most adaptable and and which ones are really suffering from it. But birds are a lot more adaptable than... I mean, even just take the, the bald eagles. I mean, it used to be standard lore that um, bald eagles only wanted to nest in big pines or big cypress trees. Well, that's certainly what they prefer, but our bald eagles are, are seriously adapting to nesting on cell phone towers or power pylons, things like that. And so, you know, our bald eagle population is, is surviving and expanding despite the fact that we cutting down all the trees that they really prefer to nest in they find another way to do it
2: well on
0: a slightly different topic of change or adaptation an email just rolled in that says my yard has bird and squirrel feeders that i fill daily with sunflower seeds recently a flock of 35 pigeons have begun dominating the feedings is it quote unquote bird discrimination to prefer the cardinals and woodpeckers and squirrels over the pigeons thank you
1: no, we basically put, put feed out, put feeders up for our own pleasure. Here in Florida, um not very many birds, if any, are truly dependent upon our our feeders and um you know I take things down when I are I actually have a piece of um uh, fishing line attached to one of my bird feeders because the grackles or the blue jays will get on it and just empty it so i have the fishing line attached and it comes up and through the the crack in the door and when i see the grackles get on that feeder i give the fishing line a jerk and chase them away
0: <laughs> wow so, I, I like that it's kind of a delightfully low-tech uh, solution it seems like so that's that's great
1: you know, it, It only works when I'm sitting here at the window at the computer working and keep an eye on the feeder. When I'm gone, they empty the feeder. Perfect.
0: Sure, yeah, there's nobody to, to yank the line, probably, yeah. So, Mary, this uh, decades-long passion for birds led to your becoming the president of the Tampa Audubon Society. Give me uh, kind of like, I guess, sort of the equivalent of the elevator pitch on, on that organization and its mission.
1: Our mission is to try to help educate the public and protect the habitat for the benefit of our birds and all other kinds of wildlife. So it field trips i I love leading field trips, and I firmly believe that it's only when somebody can look in my spotting scope or you know whatever else but and see a bird up close that they never saw before and say, "Oh wow, that was that's what's over there then." they're more interested in protecting it. Sure. And then they're more interested in protecting the water, the plants, the flowers, the wetlands, whatever it is. But we people need those wetlands. We need that clean water. We need those those trees and plants too. And and I think that by seeing and and watching and appreciating birds or if it's butterflies or coyotes or you know whatever else then we're more likely to help protect the rest of the habitat that they all depend on and that. All includes us. We we need it too.
0: Sure. Yeah, so it sounds like that kind of sense of wonder that you sort of cultivate by having them look through your scope or whatever it means that you're introducing them on one of your field trips, that leads to the kind of engagement that then fosters more concern for those species or that environment, that habitat, that area, whatever it might be.
1: That's, that's exactly what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right, well, let's take a caller and uh, then we'll get back to some. Of mine. Hi, you're on Talking Animals on WNF with Mary Keith. Good
1: morning, Mary. I love the show, and I would like to know what you would suggest for someone who is wants to get involved in birding but is a, a, a complete beginner. Like, what kind of resources are available to identify the bird species, and should you log uh, keep a log of the one the birds you see or quantities of birds, or should you maybe do sketching? Could you please uh, provide information on how someone could start off
0: birding? Thank you very much, Mary. Thank, thank you, Carla, for that question. That was one certainly that was uh, just on the horizon, but that's great that he already asked. So go ahead, please,
1: Mary. Well, I would say probably one of the easiest things to do is get on, join a bird walk someplace, somewhere. So Tampa Audubon, if you go on the tampaaudubon.org website, um, we have a couple bird walks a month. I mean, we've been limited by COVID, but we're gradually, slowly getting back in. Um, You would probably want to get a pair of binoculars because most of us don't have a good enough vision to make out the details, uh, you know, on a bird that's that's too far away. Um, And a field guide, either a book, if you like that. Most of us grew up with a a book stuck in our hip pocket. Nowadays, there are a lot of, of online resources so merlin it's an online um it's a phone app actually from cornell university and if you see a bird you open merlin you put in your location the size was it the size of a robin was it the size of a crow was it you know big little they give you some options um the color and i think it asks or, you know, what kind of habitat? So are you out in the swamp? Are you at the beach? Are you in the woods? And then it turns around and gives you back three or four or five suggestions for what birds fit your time of year, your place in the world, the size, the colors that you saw. There are a couple different apps like that, but Merlin is, is probably the most common. Um, the other thing I would say in terms of binoculars, don't just order a pair of binoculars online. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited over in Carolwood, um, North Tampa has some, has a selection of different binoculars. Or if you come to the birding festival, um, October 15 and 16, we have two different companies coming that will be selling binoculars. And you really want to find binoculars that feel good in your hand, that fit your eyes that you can manage without excessive shoulder strain or neck strain, something like that, and that fit your pocketbook. So um, come try out three, four, five different pairs and and start with something like that. And then otherwise, go out and look. Look, look, look. Enjoy them. Look them up. If you want to log them, Cornell University also has a website um eBird. It's e bird that's small e capital b i r d and um you sign up on that all you do is put give yourself an email and a password um and then you can keep your your records online you can keep them in a book um there are a lot of people that love to sketch birds it really helps cement what they look like and you know the details um, but the important thing is just go out and enjoy them. And the basic equipment will be either a book or an app to identify what you're seeing and a pair of binoculars to, to help you see them better.
0: Great. Well, thank you. I think that gives the caller uh, some, some really good guidance on getting started. And so in case some people might just be tuning in and not quite sure who we're talking with or what we're talking about, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest is Mary Keith, one of the organizers of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, taking place October 15th through 17th at the Manatee Viewing Center in Apollo Beach, Florida. And the festival uh, will present an array of activities, including field trips and boat trips and nature expo, speakers and seminars and more. If you'd like to ask Mary a question about the festival or birding or something else related please call 813-239-9663 email dj at WNF.org or text 813-433-0885 so i think kind of your prelude and then our caller's question kind of leads us i think quite smoothly into talking about the florida birding and nature festivals so let's talk at first about the history of the festival how did the initial idea come about and what year was that
1: Oh, my. The original, original festival was probably 20-some years ago, and originally it was headquartered over in Pinellas County. When I first moved to Tampa, the first couple years were over in Clearwater, and then it was down at Eckerd College. Then it went away for a while, and um, several of us here, and Paul, who at the time was working for um, Audubon of Florida, and um, myself and some other folks got together and decided to start it up again. And this is our fifth, last year was supposed to be our fifth. This is our fifth year here in, Pinellas, in Hillsborough County. And we wanted to, I mean, fall, October is, uh, September and October are our best migration time mm-hmm. here on the west coast of Florida. Um, because so many things are coming down, and and they get over to Fort DeSoto, and they take a deep breath and jump off and end up in Mexico, fly the whole way across. Um, So this is a, a great time and a great place to be seeing birds, and we wanted to make it available to as many people as possible. And we also wanted our local counties, cities, elected officials, et cetera, um, to see and recognize the value of our habitat, the value of our, uh, our birds, um, and the tourists, the, the ecotourism that will come to look for birds. So we started out the first couple of years. Uh, we were headquartered down at the, the South Shore HCC campus. And uh, and Ruskin, and then their classes got too big and out outgrew us. They couldn't afford to give us the the space anymore for our seminars. So then we were at HCC in Brandon for a while, and now we're at the Tico Manatee Viewing Center, and we greatly appreciate Tico for for um, loaning us the space, donating
0: the space to have our events there now. So Mary, in terms of the kind of following the hiatus from the very original version of the festival, was there something that you and the others that that revived it said, hey, we're missing and and not providing a really significant opportunity? Was there a gap that started just kind of get to people or they just thought, hey, you know what, we've got to, we've got to relaunch this thing?
1: Well, I don't know that there was that there was any single impetus. I mean, as I was president of Tampa Audubon, every year um, I would get, and I know the previous presidents do, and the current one does too. We get emails from people who are coming into the area, either on vacation or um, for a business trip, or something like that want to bird, don't know where to go. So they'd say, hey, I'm going to be here. You know, I have two days. i really like to see this, this, and this. You know, give me some suggestions on on where to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do that individually, but if we can make it an event and I can round up some of the absolutely top-notch bird birders in the area to be guides for our various field trips, um, you know, and then we have seminars and we have expos and all kinds of things like that to go with it. It just, you know, it makes it a lot more fun, a lot more interesting, and we can draw a lot more attention to it.
0: Sure. So with that in mind and kind of the idea of, of saying, yeah, sure, I could kind of make a suggestion of somebody emailing in, but maybe if we do more of a collective event, that can serve more people with the same kind of idea. How many people in the revived version of the festival typically attend the uh, Florida Birding and Nature Festival.
1: Well, in our fourth year, we were just shy of having 500 people.
0: Oh my goodness! Then, wow.
1: Then la- last year, of course, it didn't happen at all. Yeah. And this year, with the the um, you know the hesitancy for travel, et cetera, et cetera, um, we're something over a hundred people registered
2: mm-hmm.
1: now. And uh, you know it's it's going to be a, a build it back up again. But we changed too. Um, the first several years, I was we were only planning five or six field trips a day. But we had more people on each field trip. So this year, just to try to be safe, I have twelve field trips running each day. But we're limiting most of them to not more than ten participants so you know there's more more we're more scattered out um but we're hoping that it's going to be a lot safer
0: sure everybody feels more comfortable i'm sure with that
1: uh, yeah and that's why we're we're using uh the manatee viewing center because there the expo is outdoors so if you're familiar with the the manatee viewing center you go in and you go up the ramp to be able to look out you know, over the water at the Manatees, and the snack bar is upstairs, and the gift shop is upstairs, and there's that big open space underneath where they generally have picnic tables. So that's where we're going to have the, the expo. So it, too, it's got a solid roof, but it's still going to be outdoors. So there's going to be lots of, of air movement, and we're trying to make that as safe as we possibly can for, for everybody as well.
0: Well, this sounds like uh, you know, a lot of care and thought has gone into it, especially with people kind of uneasy in many respects about gathering. So it sounds like you've really addressed that in putting this year's uh, festival together. Let's indeed talk about just a few basic details and then get into some specifics maybe about speakers and or field trips. But as I think we've noted, the win part is October 15th through seventeen. The where, as we've also noted now, once or twice at least, is the Manatee Viewing Center in Apollo Beach. And also we could let people know that the website is FB and FBNfestival, I should say, .org. So uh, short for Florida Birding uh, and then the letter n festival.org for details that we may or may not get into all of them today so that could help you uh, fill in some of the things that we don't maybe have a chance to cover extensively. So let's get into some of the speakers. And again, in addition to, I guess, who some of the speakers will be, let's touch on how they will speak. I mean, I may have this wrong, but it seems as I understand it, some speakers will deliver their talks via Zoom where some will be presented in person outside at that space you just described, I guess, with masks required and social distancing encouraged. So, do I have that right so far?
1: Um, pretty much. Okay. The, the the seminars during the day. So there's seven different talks on Friday, seven different talks on Saturday. Those will only be Zoom. There's no in person on those. Okay. And when, when you register, uh, you g- you will get the link for all 14 of those talks, which you can watch in person then, or it'll take a month or so afterwards. But eventually then, you'll be able to go back and watch those again any time that you want to in, in the coming year. So those are the seminars. Okay. The two in, in-person talks are the keynote speakers and those are friday evening and saturday evening and those will be in person um at the the tico energy conservation center which is a a building just immediately south of the manatee viewing center and those will be both in person and zoom so if you come in person um, and you don't have to register for the festival to sign up for those. Those are sort of independent events. Um, there's a heavy hors d'oeuvres, as they're calling it, okay. sort of a light dinner yeah. reception first, and then the presentation will will start once it gets dark enough to allow for the uh, allow for the PowerPoint. So Friday night, Craig Pittman, who many people know, local author. Wrote for the, the uh, paper, but he's going to be talking about his cat tales, mm-hmm. the book about um, the uh, battle to save the Florida Panther,
0: right? Which he discussed that, in this show at one point while back as well,
1: yeah. Great. Well, he'll be there in person. Um, I'm pretty sure somebody is bringing books that, it, or if you have a book, he'll be happy to sign it. Yeah. Um, and then Saturday evening, Craig Taylor who is the lead naturalist and one of the lead photographers for Swarovski Optics, which is generally considered the top-notch um, binocular and spotting scope manufacturer in the world. But they will have a booth and sell or demonstrate their equipment but he will be talking about um bird photography and how photography has changed the way um the way we're documenting birds so the previous caller asked about you know should he keep a log um most people like to keep a log but with this eBird that i mentioned then um they're getting millions of report from all over the world all year round about birds. Well, a lot of them are, huh, that bird is there? <laughs> so either, either it's a bird that really got its GPS mixed up and ended up way off course, or somebody is not documenting it, not IDing it correctly. And what Clay's going to be talking about is how with photography so much more popular and now with the rising quality of our little cell phone cameras, how people can take pictures of these birds. You can attach them to your report in eBird. And that is really opening the eyes, changing the minds of a lot of the scientists about where birds actually are because, hey, yeah, he's right. That is a... And so I mean, one of our members lives down in Baurico, has a wonderful birdie yard. She had a Bullock's I mean, that thing belongs in Texas. It was spent last winter in her yard, and she was able to, to document it. So he's going to be talking about how, I mean, just, you know, the, the tips and pros and all that kind of great bird photography, but how bird photography is changing what we know of where birds are going and what they're eating, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. that's the Saturday night speaker. Okay. And that will be live.
0: Yeah. But it sounds like in both cases, both Craig Friday and Clay Saturday, that they're they're live, but also there's the additional option uh for those who prefer it to to see those on Zoom. Correct. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I gather Perhaps hooked to the discussion about photography and how it's evolved and how that's changing things—is that where people would get a chance to try out different kinds of binoculars? Or, or hooked to that uh, talk?
1: Um, I don't. I don't think he's bringing the binoculars over to that evening session. I mean, you okay. wouldn't be able to see very far in the dark anyway. Right. Um, but he will have a table at the ex which goes from 9 to 5 on Friday and Saturday at the Manatee Viewing Center. And the expo is free to anybody. You don't have to pay to get in. You don't have to register to get in. If you just want to come try out some binoculars, um, you know, just come in and we'll point in the direction of the right right booth.
0: Well, that sounds great. And so – Mary, we probably can't hit all the field trips and or all the speakers, but do you want to, I guess, since you're the field trip coordinator, we should certainly ask you to address at least a few of the field trips in particular, and then maybe we'll do the same thing with a few of the speakers. And and of course, we can refer people to the website to uh, fill in whatever we don't have time to address specifically
1: and I'm not going to be able to recite them all off the top of my head. Sure. Anyway, no, if there's, I if there's, yeah, I no, no, I 12 just. Well, a day for three days.
0: Right. No, I got it. That's I just thought if there was that's why if there were just a two or three here and there, they might want to highlight or just select just to give people a sense of what kind of topics will be addressed in those talks. That'd be great.
1: Well, the field trips are are going to, I think, five different counties. So we're going as far north as. Um, Hernando County, Crossbar Ranch, as far south as Sarasota, as far east as Circle B, Bar, and Lakeland, and um, the Seven Wetlands Preserve out in Mulberry, and of course over to Pinellas County. Um, we have three different kayak or canoe paddles. One, one is Whedon Island, one is on the Hillsborough River, and the other one is down at Terracia Preserve. We have several boat trips. If you just want to get on a boat and ride around, there's Outback Key. There's another one to Shell Key. Um, the one to Egmont Key will be partly boating because you go out and down around the east side of, of Egmont Key, um, where most people generally don't get to go because it's a, a wildlife preserve, the southern end of the key, but then it'll come back and land, and you'll be able to walk around some of the fort, and we do have bird guides on all of these, so they'll be able to point out what it is you're seeing and help you find them. Um, we have Several that are driving, so it'll basically be drive-through an area, stop where the leader hears or sees some great birds. Everybody will get out, look, get back in the car, drive again. We have one wheelchair-accessible or handicap-accessible trip um, each day. One is over to Sawgrass Preserve. One is Whedon Island um, on the boardwalks there. And then the rest are walking trips of... um, varying length and varying levels of of difficulty so you know whatever kind of habitat is interesting you whatever kinds of birds you're most interested in in seeing we've got great leaders on all of the trips we're limiting like i said mo- the walking trips are 10 people per Per trip. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of the boat trips, because the boats are larger and they'll be outside moving, they're taking more.
0: Yeah. Well, certainly it sounds like it's covering all kinds of ground, literally and figuratively, and all kinds of modes of of transportation. And let me ask you this as as you describe these and as I kind of look at the, the list of field trips, for example. If someone... We're listening and say, God, this sure sounds great, but I I don't think I can swing all three days. Are there provisions for someone who just can't do all three days but would like to do two, let's say, or some kind of variation like that?
1: the The basic registration, um, the one hundred and fifty dollars registration, covers gives you access to all of the seminars. And like I said, that those you can watch whenever you want. Yeah. So that's at any fourteen point. seminars.
2: Yeah.
1: Then. Once you register, do that, then you can pick and choose one field trip, two field trips, three field trips, four field trips. Sure. You have a, uh, there's at least one or two afternoon field trips. So if you're really gung-ho, you could do one in the morning and one in the afternoon a couple of days.
0: I see, yeah. But
1: those are above and beyond. So you can pick as many of those as you want. The keynote, it's just $40 per Event. Okay,
0: yeah, sorry, Mary, we can't really, shouldn't be talking about prices. I'm sorry, I should have indicated that before.
1: Oh, but, okay, uh, yeah. sorry about that. No. But but the keynotes, you don't have to register for the festival, so you just register for that keynote event.
0: Yeah, well, and, it sounds like there's and, a lot of options here, including, like you said, just coming to the expo without necessarily being part of the festival, Of some reason, if that's your inclination.
1: Right, and and the expo, there's, like I said, the two optics vendors, um, there's one Absolutely fantastic um, artists, beautiful um, nature artwork, and then there's a whole variety of local agencies, organizations, either, you know, just trying to educate or trying to pick up volunteers or, you know, whatever. There's 20-some different vendors there at the expo.
0: And uh, in terms of the speakers, again, probably won't really be practical to get into them all, but... But uh, one thing that caught my eye, among many other things, they, these all sound fascinating to me, but one thing is one of the speakers on Friday will be talking about horseshoe crabs, and this, the very same speaker the next day will be talking about diamondback rattlesnakes. So uh, that's, that's a pretty good range right there.
1: Right. Um, our Saturday morning, um, three speakers are all um, reptile and amphibian. We tried to do a sort of a focus group mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Um, and then um, Berlina, yes, um, I think she works for uh, FWC, but uh, she has, has worked with um, the diamondback rattlesnakes for a while, um, as well as, as horseshoe crabs. And if anybody is not aware, horseshoe crabs do breed here, and FWC has a website where if you see a mating pair, they want to know. You can go in and and look, uh, input, give them that kind of information, to add to their database of time and place where you saw mating horseshoe crabs. So, well, but, this... but yes, we we tried to get a, a variety for you know interest anybody because this is not just birds, it's birds yeah. and nature.
2: Yeah.
0: No, you really uh, you're definitely delivering on the the. Uh... The non-birding part, as well as, of course, there's there's great birding opportunities. But uh, yeah, these these talks and outings and stuff sound terrific. And um...
1: one one of our one of our seminars, if I or one of our field trips, if I may add, is just uh, most is butterflies and um, other insects. John Lambkin and Mark Minow and Rob Epstein will be leading a, a field trip at the Schultz Preserve, which is down near um, Gibsonton, um, and that's in the afternoon and specifically looking for butterflies and bugs.
0: And I noticed, I think, that Mark will also then be one of the speakers on Friday morning uh, talking specifically about Florida butterflies. Right,
1: Florida butterflies, mm-hmm. one of the experts on Florida butterflies.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, Mary, we're sort of reaching the end of our time here. What knowledge or what sort of experience would you and, and other organizers like for a first-time festival attendee to come away with uh, after... After the 17th uh, of October. What what, what things constitute a successful festival from your guys' standpoint?
1: Well, we want people to be happy with what they saw and where they went. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the draws is that a lot, not all, but some at least, of our field trips will get people into places that are not open to the public. Yeah. So it'll be a chance to get in and see... Yet one more facet, one more hidden jewel of of habitat and birds, you know, here in, in this part of the country. And um, hopefully people will listen to some of the seminars and go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Gee, that's neat.
2: Great.
0: You
1: know, that's, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. And, um, you know, go out and go home and tell their friends and plan to come back next year and try some different field trips. And we'll have a whole new lineup of seminars, speakers for next year too.
0: Well, this sounds great. Well, Mary, I think we have just reached the end of our time at this point. So we're going to speak with Mary Keith about the Florida birding and nature festival, October 15th through 17th. And again, the letters org, or Of course, if you just want to search Florida Birding and Nature Festival, it comes up pretty readily, I've noticed. So you can find out more information, more uh, details about uh, some of when the, the uh, field trips happened and, and the speakers that we've been talking about and some that we didn't have a chance to yet address. But it's really a, a really sweeping, comprehensive uh, festival and a great experience for people interested in, in birding and, as you noted, people who are interested in other uh, wildlife and nature in Florida. So it's just going to be great. So, Mary, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals.
1: You're quite welcome. If I could add one other thing, if people look at the, the website and are just overwhelmed, use the Contact Us. Um, To ask questions, I have already been answering questions from people who register and want to know what's the best field trip for seeing this or, you know, seeing that. More than happy to answer them. So That's great. Feel free to use the contact us as well.
0: Excellent. All right. Thank you again, Mary.
1: You're quite welcome. Thank you. Great talking to you. Bye-bye.
0: In a moment, I'll speak with Father Andrew Hayes about the blessing of the animals he will preside over this Saturday, October 2nd at St. Clement Episcopal Church. Though in a bit of a sneak preview of our conversation, you might not have to be at the church to witness the blessing. More on that in a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner with a piece from Alex Edelman, one of the many comics I saw last weekend in Austin at the fantastic Moon Tower Comedy Festival, with a piece called Coco the Gorilla in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. On w and Can I have
3: a round of applause if you've heard of Coco the Gorilla? Ah. A few of you guys clapping, some of you not. Coco the Gorilla, for those of you that don't know, is a gorilla that speaks fluent sign language. And in 1999, this is true, Coco met Robin Williams. And last year, they told Coco that Robin Williams had passed away and Coco went... Coco friend, Coco sad. Which is sad, but on the plus side, how funny was Robin Williams that even gorillas were like, this guy is unbelievable. Have you seen Jumanji? It's a little offensive to us, but still. My comedy... Hardly works if you're not a Jew from New York City. Robin Williams crossed the species barrier. (laughs) Second of all, and obviously, did they have to tell the gorilla (laughs) that Robin Williams had passed away? She wasn't gonna catch it on Twitter or anything like that. Someone made a conscious decision to walk into a gorilla enclosure. Just like, hi, Coco. Can you put down the banana? We have some bad news. <laughs> and they tell Coco and Coco's like...
2: Oh no!
0: That was Alex Edelman. In today's Comedy Corner, with a piece called Coco the Gorilla, taken from an appearance a few years back at the Just For Laps Comedy Festival. Now it's time to speak with Father Andrew Hayes of St. Clement Episcopal Church about the blessing of the animals he'll be offering there this Saturday, October 2nd. Here's Father Andrew Hayes on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Father Andrew. Good morning,
4: Duncan. Thanks for having
0: me on your show. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. So I understand St. Clements has been hosting the blessing of the animals for 34 years. So first of all, I'm sure everybody's kind of got it down by now. But uh, more more to the point, more seriously, what prompted the initial blessing? Why did it first start happening?
4: I believe that so many members of the church just had animals that uh, every year it came around, the feast day of St. Francis, they, they wanted to do something. So uh, a lot of churches were beginning to have animals come to church, and St. Clement's did the same thing. And since then, it's just grown and grown and grown.
0: You noted that uh, other churches were starting to do the same thing, but it just from what little I seem to have seen and, and heard and read, it's pretty safe to say that St. Clement's is particularly an animal-friendly church. That's wonderful. What's behind that, though? Why is it so animal-friendly?
4: Um, well, part of it is because we try and encourage people to rejoice in all of creation rather than just keep it uh, centered on humans. Um, But part of it is that um, everyone's pretty crazy about their dogs and cats and other creatures they may have in their possession. And part of it is because I'm a a dog owner and have been since I was a boy. So uh, I kind of bring that with me as well.
0: Sort of leading by example in that regard.
4: Oh, yes, yes. My dog actually uh, writes an article in the parish newsletter. uh, He gets away with things that I could never say. And he gets fan mail, and I never
0: do. Is that Winston?
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's. I was struck by it because that's that's got to be some impressive keyboard technique to write that uh, that monthly column. So. Uh, oh yeah. My hats uh, hats off to Winston. So let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the blessing of the animal celebration slated for this Saturday, October second. So sounds like it'd be a little bit different than maybe some years. So just kind of give us some of the key details, if you wouldn't mind.
4: Yes, normally we would have it uh, and host it in the church grounds with lots of vendors and uh, annual rescue groups being involved, but because we're still in the middle of COVID, uh, and we uh, err on the side of um, uh, being particularly careful, we uh, have a service online which we have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, St. Clement's Episcopal Church Tampa, and that will be 10am on Saturday, and then we uh, encourage people to take part in the drive-through blessing, Uh, and you know, get your animals to bring you to our church, which is on uh, uh, 706 West 113th Avenue in Tampa, the zip code 33612. And uh, you'll be directed to drive through and be me and another priest who will be blessing the animals and you as well, if you wish.
0: Wow. Well, that sounds about as COVID friendly a setup. Uh, so you have the option of Facebook Live, YouTube or drive through and uh, and have the blessing take place. uh On site, but yet in a safe way on site, I guess.
4: Yeah, it's still good fun, though. And actually, we actually get to talk to the people more than we do the animals. Normally, when we we do the big thing, uh, um, we focus very much on the animals. This way, we kind of focus on both the humans and the creatures.
0: Sure. And probably hard, since this is uh, sounds like an unusual format for the blessing, but any kind of just based on past experience when there weren't some of these... Provisions in place, at least. Uh, a ballpark idea of how many animals and their humans you might expect, uh, at least Ooh, on the drive through
4: Last year, normally it's around about 300 edition. Wow. Last year it was over 250. So there really wasn't that much difference. Yeah. Um, it's, it was just a longer process. Sure. Um, because we uh, in the we have all the animals in the church normally, and they can make as much noise as they want to come down. Um, they guide it down to us, to bless. And then they leave by the side entrance as well. This is your basic drive-through. You, you, you're directed through to one place. We bless you. Go.
0: Yeah. Now, what role does Winston play in all this?
4: Oh, um, he's there uh, as uh, the the main icon of the whole thing. He thinks that it, everything revolves around him. Okay. He loves advertising the fact that uh, uh, that this is a day for all creatures and the the humans. He calls them Pete can just kind of stay out of the way because this is the big one for all the rest of the world you said he calls them peeps oh yes that's his wow is
0: that that's know. his vernacular from the column i guess or how do you know that that's what he uh, he just tells you that wow. that's what they call them a peeps? he was
4: rescued uh he was a, a rescue dog and yeah. originally found in miami and his his background is he wanted to be a dj so he's kind of you know he's in, into this cool vibe of talking to people I see. you might like call them people
0: but just peep I, I like it well of course as a guy hosting a show called talking animals I, I'm, I'm more and more enamored with uh, with Winston by the moment so uh, this sounds great I like that he's got sounds like ambitions to be a DJ and calls people oh, yeah. peeps that's that's my kind of dog so um, <laughs> father Andrew anything else we should know about Saturday's uh, blessings before we have to say goodbye well
4: this this There's like three reasons why we're doing this. The first one is that when God created everything, he said it was very good. The second thing is that God has put everything in our hands, not only to keep it very good, but to expand that good. And and finally, um, we're all one on this planet, and uh, um, this day reminds us of just how fragile this planet is and how much uh, animals mean to our existence and
0: plus how much our pets mean to us. Wow, that's perfect. That's, I think, the, the, the ideal note on which to leave this. So, Father Andrew, thank you so much. Father Andrew Hayes from St. Clement's Episcopal Church of Tampa, which you can search for if you didn't get some of the other information, or you can search for the Facebook Live page, the YouTube page, or find out more about the details for the drive through blessing this Saturday, October 2nd. So thank you so much, Father Andrew, for joining us today on Talking Animals. And give my regards to uh, Winston. Will do. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coming up on WMNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott, noon to three, a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music, and we just keep rolling along into our Latin block of programming. We have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. Next Wednesday, October 6th, I will be here joined by my friend and longtime pitching partner, Laura Taylor, seeking her fundraiser for WMNF right here on Talking Animals. So as of Friday, October 1st, please, please, please consider making an early pledge in support of Talking Animals. Visit TalkingAnimals.net for more information about thank-you gifts we have for pledges of all levels and fast, easy ways to pledge. And you can also go to the tip jar on WMNF.org for the Talking Animals page. So that's... It's a simple, easy way to do it. We'll see you next next Wednesday here at 11 a.m. on Talking I'm with Scott Elliott's next after the NPR News
2: Headlines. Thanks so much. WMNF Tampa.